Let's turn to Mark chapter 7 this morning. Mark chapter 7. And we'll finish out, Lord willing, chapter 7 today. Mark chapter 7 will be in verse 31. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to grab one out of the seat in front of you. It's the black book there, and it's the same translation that I'm reading from. If you need a Bible, help yourself to that one. Take it with you. Mark chapter 7, verse number 31 again. Departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. And then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Father God, I pray today that you would fill me with your spirit and help me, Lord, as I uh, strive to make some sense out of this passage. I pray that you'll help me to say the things I should and say nothing I ought not. I pray you'll calm my mind and help me to uh, remember the things that you've laid on my heart in the study and uh, just use this time. Father, if there are those here today who need this word in some particular way, I pray you'll apply it to their hearts uh, in a very real fashion. May they know that it's you speaking. And may they respond, I pray. So just bless this time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this passage, we have a miracle that is found only in Mark's gospel. Matthew talks about it, I guess, maybe by illusion. He doesn't really mention this particular thing in Matthew. Matthew's account uh, describes the same thing that we saw last time when we talked about the, the healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Matthew also talks about that. Uh, at Tyre and Sidon, but then Matthew says this, Matthew says that Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there, and then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel." That's what Matthew says, and then after that he goes right into the feeding of the 4,000, just as Mark also goes right into the feeding of the 4,000 after his discussion of this miracle. Mark's chronology is the healing of the Syrophoenician woman, the healing of this deaf mute, and then the feeding of the 4,000. And so somewhere uh, along the line here, I think in, in that discussion of the multitudes that were being healed in Matthew, uh, we have this man slotted in there somewhere in that particular chronology. We left Jesus in Gentile territory, as you remember. Uh, we said that Syrophoenicia, that area, was populated primarily by Gentiles. Well, so was the Decapolis, which is where he headed after that. Interestingly, if you, uh, if you look at the, uh, a map, uh, the area of the Decapolis was roughly south and east of Galilee. So way up here on the, on the Mediterranean Sea was uh, Tyre and Sidon. Uh, where the Syrophoenician woman thing took place. And then way down here was the Decapolis, clear on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, it's called the Decapolis because it means ten towns. There literally were ten towns there. And it's also referred to as the Little Rome because it was 
so Roman and Gentile in its population. And so Jesus is still ministering in Gentile territory. He has gone around the top of the Sea of Galilee, and he's come down to the other side, and he's down in the Decapolis. And when we actually get to our text, he's finally come back up. But during all that time, he's been in Gentile territory, which is very interesting. One person I read said many believe that that was as long as eight months of his ministry, which is all just kind of encapsulated for us in those few verses in Matthew and in Mark. Eight months that he was ministering. Almost one-third of his total three years of ministry was devoted to Gentiles. I confess I had never really realized that until I studied for this particular message, but I find it interesting. So let's think about this wonderful miracle that took place here that only Mark saw fit to share with us. He described a pretty amazing event, if you were following along reading. It began in verse number 32, where we read that they brought to him one who was deaf. Now, right off the bat, we might be tempted to minimize that part. We might be tempted to just skip right over that and ignore that part of the story and get to the good stuff where things started happening like Jesus sticking fingers and ears and all that kind of stuff. But we dare not do that. We don't want to minimize the importance of those five little words. They brought to him one. Because I think they point out a very important part of the story. Somebody brought this man to Jesus. Somebody cared enough to bring this man Jesus. And the fact is, that's where it all, almost always starts. Few come to Jesus on their own. Nearly everyone needs to be brought. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, was Simon Peter's brother, I'm sorry, was always bringing people to Jesus. This is his most recorded characteristic. And you can, you can do a, a study, take a concordance and look up Andrew, and you'll find that he was always bringing people to Jesus. When Philip was talking with the, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, He walked up to him and saw that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the Bible, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I, unless someone should guide me? And so bringing people to Jesus is an important part of this story. It's an important part of everybody's story. When we look around in any church service, this one would be no different. I think we would primarily see a people who are here because somebody brought them to Jesus somewhere along the line. If I were to poll the average congregation asking what they attribute their relationship with Christ to, uh, many and, and perhaps most would say that a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor or a father or a spouse or somebody invited them. Somebody brought them to Jesus. And so we dare not minimize how this miracle started out. It's key. It's key. All miracles start out the same way, bringing the needy one to the saving one, bringing them to Jesus. And so I, I would like to ask right off the bat, before we even get into the meat of this thing, have you brought anybody to Jesus? And when's the last time that you invited someone to the one who can meet their every need? So that's the first thing I see. The man in the story was a deaf mute. At least that's what it says in the, in the heading on, on, on my Bible. He was a deaf mute, but actually he wasn't mute. Uh, mute would imply that he couldn't speak at all, but he could speak. He just spoke poorly. The text literally says that he had difficulty speaking. It's from the Greek word mogalalan or something. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's only used here. It's the only place it's used in the Bible, and the only other place we find it is in the Septuagint version, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, and it's in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 6, talking about how the Messiah would heal those who were mute. He was not mute. That's not what the word means. He could speak, but he could speak with difficulty. And if you think about that, that's the same thing we see in many who are deaf today. 
People who, because they have never heard speech, have difficulty reproducing speech. It's a distinctive sound, distinctive to those who are without hearing. And so he was hardly able to speak. One other possibility, Vine says, that it could possibly mean that he stammered, but I don't think that's the case. I think it was just the typical thing that we see amongst people today and have always been the case amongst people when they cannot hear. So we see Jesus healed him. And he could hear and he could speak plainly. The first words that he ever heard were those of the Savior. And from that moment on, I can imagine that his tongue spoke of very little else but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Those who brought him and those who were aware of what was going on were astonished beyond measure. And do a little word study on that sometime and see what what Mark was saying there. It's about as strong as you can imagine that he could have worded that. Out of their minds with astonishment uh, at what what they saw Happen because after all, restoring of hearing and restoring of sight and these kinds of things were all signs of the Messiah prophesied. Isaiah chapter 53. And they were seeing that fulfilled in front of their very eyes. So somebody brings this guy to Jesus. Jesus heals him just as the coming Messiah would have been expected to do. People were astonished beyond measure at what they were seeing. And that's not all an interesting story, isn't it? It's interesting up to that point. But we haven't even mentioned what I think is the most interesting thing about this story. We haven't mentioned how Jesus healed him because he dealt with this man differently than he dealt with just, well, anybody else that we have recorded in the Bible. Look what it says here. He took him apart from the multitude, verse number 33. Took him off by himself. He put his fingers in his ears, verse number 33. He spat and touched his tongue. Jesus spat and touched this I think this man's tongue. Uh, I don't know whether he really touched his tongue or his own. The text doesn't make it clear. Some translations say that, that it was the latter, that he touched the man's tongue. All it says is he spat and touched his tongue in the Greek. That's all you can see. I don't even know who the his is. That could have been Jesus himself. He could touch his own tongue. But the context seems to indicate he would have touched. He touched the man's ears, and he would have touched the man's tongue. Some translations even go so far as to say he spat on his fingers. It doesn't say that at all, so I don't know where they're getting that. That's not in the Greek at all. So he spat, he touched his tongue, then he uh, looked up to heaven, verse number 34. Then he sighed. Don't you think it's interesting that Mark included all these little details? He sighed, and then he said one word, Ephetha, verse number 34. And after all that, Mark said that immediately. Remember his favorite word? Euthus, the Greek word euthus, immediately he could hear and he spoke plainly. So we need to think about how Jesus did this here. His methods here, they were unusual. They were distinct to this particular healing. Why did he take this man aside? He didn't do that before. Why did he touch his ears and his tongue? Why why did he have to do that? Why did he sigh? What's the significance of that? Why did he look up to heaven and why did he say the word that he said? Well, I think there are some pretty good reasons for it. Since he couldn't hear Jesus' words, I think Jesus was using sign language to convey what he was going to do. I think he touched both ears and tongue, indicating what he was about to impact. I think he looked up to heaven, indicating from whence the healing was to come. Then he spoke an Aramaic word, Ephetha, that would have been very easy for a deaf person to have understood and seen and lip read. I can imagine Jesus speaking that word very, very slowly, can't you? Looking deep into his eyes and saying, Ephetha. I could just, I could just see that. Can you? 
Hughes, in his commentary, explained it like this. He said, why did Jesus follow these steps, and why did Mark record them? First and most obvious, because of the nature of the man's handicap, Jesus thrust his fingers into the man's ears as a sign language he was going to heal him. His action of spitting, and now Hughes thinks he probably spit on, his, on the tips of his fingers and wet the man's tongue. I don't think that, but he says, that action. Jesus looked upward to tell him from where the power was to come. His sigh though inaudible to the man, visibly communicated to him that Jesus was moved by the man's condition, that he cared. And ephatha was the first sound to penetrate the man's ears in years. There are so many things in this story that are helpful to us, so many things that help us as we share the gospel with others. Think about the fact that Jesus took him aside. Think about that. He dealt with him one-on-one. And we could just preach a whole message on just that alone. Just We need to deal with lost friends and family members so often, just one-on-one. Just them. Talk to them. He, he touched him. He put his finger right on the spot that needed help. Just as we, when we share the gospel and, and the word of God with others, need to be quick to show others that Jesus can meet their very need. Right where they are. Right what they need. He looked up to heaven, indicating that the healing could only come from one place. Just as when we share with others, they need to understand their only help is from God. And he spoke in such a way hmm, that even this deaf man could see and understand. Reminding us that it does absolutely no good to share the gospel with somebody unless we can make it plain. Unless we can make it clear. Unless we can speak in a language that they can understand. There's so much there. We could go on and on with just how we could apply this to our dealing with others. And there's so much here to remind us about who the Savior was and the love that he has for all of us. I mean, think about this. He sighed. Hmm. Similar to what occurred outside of Lazarus' tomb. You remember that story where the Bible tells us that he groaned in spirit, indicating this deep compassion that he felt, that he always felt for those who were in need and in pain. And again, I read uh, some comments that helped on this. One man said, Mark's record of Jesus' deep sigh brings a healing balm, for it is the breath of compassion. Jesus' sigh comes from his deep feeling for the poor man, even though he knew exactly what he was going to do for him in the next few seconds. This is the way Jesus always was. At Lazarus' tomb, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. John chapter 11 and verse 33. And the word there for deeply moved in spirit came from the ancient Greek word that described a horse snorting. Here it described our Lord's involuntary gasp. One person said it, he gave way to such distress of spirit as made his body tremble. And then as we know from John chapter 11 that he wept such compassion. And perhaps here, when he got the poor deaf and dumb man alone, when he saw closely the devastation, his shyness, his crumpled ego, hurt upon hurt upon hurt, it was then that he sighed in compassion. And perhaps the sigh was also for what lay behind it, man's sin, the fallen creation, the devil's world. He goes on to say, there is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than in heaven. You see his compassion here? In just those two little words, he sighed. He sighed. 
Hughes goes on to point out that we should have a similar compassion toward the hurting and the lost. He says, none of us as believers are meant to go through life with dry eyes. We need to be like Jeremiah and Jesus. Jeremiah said, oh, that my head were a spring of waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. So we can sum up what happened here like this. Some people brought a deaf man to Jesus. Jesus, caring deeply for the man, took him aside where he could communicate with him privately. He touched his ears. He spit and touched his tongue. He was visibly moved by the man's needs, sighing in spirit. Then he looked up to heaven from whence all help comes, and he spoke one word, Ephatha, and miracle of miracles. The man heard that word, and every word thereafter. So how do we apply this to our lives? What's the application? We've already seen that Jesus' methods and his heart are examples that we ought to follow, but is that the only application? Is there anything else here? We've already discussed that we should similarly bring friends and loved ones to him, deal with them in a similar way to how he dealt with this man. Is that the only application? I think there's one other. There's probably many, but I think there's another one that I see. It might be a bit more obscure, but nonetheless, I believe it's a very valid application, and we need to make it. How many of you have heard the little old song, the uh, ankle bones connected to the knee bone? I can't remember how it goes. The knee bones connected to the thigh bone. Remember that? Thigh bones connected to the hip bone. Whatever. You've heard that old song. Well, you know what I think this passage is talking about here? I think this passage is describing the story of a man who demonstrates, for lack of a better way to describe it, the tongue bones connected to the ear bone. And by that I mean this, what you say and think comes from what you hear. See, here was a man who no doubt spoke. He just didn't make any sense. He didn't speak clearly. The fact that he could not hear made it impossible for him to speak clearly. For as many have noted, and I've read this multiple places, defective speech usually results from defective hearing. What you say and what you think comes from what you hear. And we know it's a principle that takes place in the physical realm because we've seen it in deaf, deaf people. But uh, I would suggest to you that it also takes place in the spiritual realm. And that's how, in the few minutes that remain, I want to apply this just for a few more minutes today. Consider this. Tongue problems come from hearing problems. Look at the order. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but if you look at the order that is seen throughout these verses, this becomes a little bit more clear. In verse number 32, they brought one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. The deafness is mentioned first. In verse 33, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and touched his tongue. The ears are mentioned first. In verse 34, he spoke concerning his deafness. He didn't speak about his tongue. He said, Ephatha, be opened, which has nothing to do with his tongue and everything to do with his hearing. And then finally we see in verse 35 that his ears were opened, and then he spoke plainly. The order, I think, is very, very instructive. It indicates the problem with the tongue was a hearing problem at its source. And the healing of the ears resulted in the tongue working properly. Of course, we see that, as we've said all the time, in the physical realm. But it is also true in our spiritual lives as well. 
One man said, experience teaches that good articulation is dependent upon good hearing. Unless we are able to hear what is taught, it becomes almost impossible to reproduce what is heard. And that same law prevails within spiritual realms. A man or woman skilled at listening to God's voice can always be recognized by the manner in which he or she speaks. The testimony is clear, it is concise, it is compelling. An orator may have the most beautiful language. His presentation may be almost theatrical and overwhelming in its effect upon certain listeners, but unless he has drawn upon the resources of heaven, his speech will be empty and unconvincing. He will be, as Paul said, a tinkling symbol. Unless a man walks with God, he had better not talk about him. True prophets are easily recognized. Of course, he's talking there about preachers, but it's true of all of us. It's true of all of us. A person who is lost... And in need of the Savior, will speak like a lost person. Their speech patterns will betray their need. But the problem is not with what they say. It's what they haven't yet heard. It's what they haven't yet responded to. They need to hear. Romans 10 and 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Sometimes we come across Christians who once spoke of Jesus and Christianity and the church in positive ways. But their speech now betrays their waywardness. They've backslid, they've drifted, they've fallen away, and it's obvious from their speech patterns. Peter's a perfect example of this, is he not? Peter, who began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew in Matthew chapter 26. The solution is not with their speech. The solution is with their hearing. They need to hear it again, in the fresh, the word of God. The psalmist said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so tongue problems come from hearing problems. And such hearing problems can only be fixed by the Messiah. Only. If you would hear, you must first come to Jesus. The prophet said, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Revelation chapter 22, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. If you would hear, you must first come to Jesus. Songwriter said, come to the Savior, make no delay. Here is his word. He's shown us the way. Here in our midst, he's standing today, tenderly saying, come. As we've seen, some do, some do come by themselves, but most need to be brought. Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Israel or out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. I am an example of this very thing. I would probably not have known the Savior had my parents not brought me to church. Every Lord's Day, my parents, who today aren't even in church. And I don't even know about their spiritual condition. And yet they cared enough to bring me every single Lord's Day. I probably wouldn't be saved today were it not for that. I recall watching my father-in-law, not in this church, but in another church I was attending at the time, kneel at an altar. I recall kneeling beside him and leading him to Christ. And the reason that that took place is because his daughter brought him to a revival service, bringing people. Years ago, 
Elmer Towns wrote that 2% are saved because of advertising, 6% because of the direct efforts of a preacher, 6% because of organized visitation programs, and 86% because of a friend or a relative. That's an old statistic, but I believe it still rings true. How vital that we bring people to Jesus. I have to ask it again. Have you brought anybody recently to the Savior? Hearing comes first. Hearing comes first. Some need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ clearly for the first time. The way they talk reveals that they have never trusted Christ. They don't know him at all. They've never been born again. They haven't met Jesus like Paul did on the Damascus Road. They're lost. They're unsaved. They're condemned. Is that you? Is that where you are? Then here's what you need to hear. Hear this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Take that word all out and put your name in there. And the wages of that sin, your sin, is death and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God commends his love toward us, toward you, in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you in your place. And now, now, if you will simply uh, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. That's the word that you need to hear. And you can be saved. Will you hear it? Some Christians might be discouraged or heartbroken. I've got to believe that in this room, I know that in this room, there are some that fall into that category. Is it you? Believe it or not, your speech betrays you. Howard Hendricks used to say, he used to describe that kind of speech and that kind of thinking as stinking thinking. It comes out in your speech patterns when you're drifting. Perhaps you know in your heart that you've drifted from where you were. Perhaps you know in your heart that you're no longer singing the praises of your Savior like you once did. Perhaps you know that your speech is negative rather than positive now. Perhaps the way that you speak betrays your backsliding, your waywardness, your driftedness, your discouragement, your sorrow. Here's what you need to hear. You need to hear Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20 and be reminded that Jesus said, I am with you always even to the end of the age. You need to hear Paul's words to the Galatians in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary when doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. You need to read the wonderful words in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 9, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There is a reward. There is a time. There is a rest. And you all, you need to hear the words that Paul spoke to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. When he said, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what you need to hear. Will you hear it? You see, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I don't believe you'll make any progress unless you hear Unless you hear, you won't be saved without hearing. You won't be restored without hearing. You won't think right. You won't speak right. You won't be right without hearing. So let's get real practical. Don't skip church.
Because that's where you're going to hear God's Word consistently preached. Every Lord's Day. Here. Here. Remember to read your Bible. Every single day if you can. But if you skip a day, pick it up anyway and read it again. Read your Bible. Memorize verses from Scripture. Meditate on the words of the Bible. Fill your mind with it. Listen to good Christian radio. Listen to and read good Christian books, good Christian music. Fill your ears and your mind and your heart with the Word of God. Hear, hear. And Christians, bring people to Jesus where they can hear. Bring your kids. Parents, I love you, but you need to quit listening to your kids tell you they don't want to come to church or Sunday school. (laughs) You need to be a parent. You need to love them. You need to make them come. One of these days, and I speak from absolute experience, they will sing your praises if you will make them come now. But you know, not much longer from now to be too late for that. Bring your lost neighbors, bring your co-workers, bring your family members, bring your friends. Bring any whose speech betrays their hurt and their need. Bring them to Jesus. He alone has the words that they need to hear. And here's what happens. Look at verse number 37, and with this we're done. Here was the result. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Oh, my friends, when we hear plain, that's what will come from our lips. He has done all things well. And we cannot help but praise and sing and marvel at all that He has done, all that He is doing, and all that He will continue to do in our lives. He has done all things well. J.C. Ryle, in explaining that particular phrase, said this. He said, we will never see the full beauty of those words till the resurrection morning. But we will then look back over our lives and know the meaning of everything that happened from first to last. We will remember all the way by which we were led. We will confess everything, that everything was well done. The why, the wherefore, the causes and the reasons of everything which now perplexes will be clear and plain as the sun at noonday. And we shall wonder at our own past blindness or deafness. And we shall marvel that we could ever have doubted our Lord's love. And so I ask this morning in closing, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, how's your hearing? 